welcome to Going Off Track. Hey! Me and Brad have been hammering out these intros today. Hammer! Boy, are they going well. And we were talking about MC Hammer. Yeah, we were just talking with one of our guests about MC Hammer. How about that? Yeah. So How about MC Hammer? There's a little preview. Do you have, any, do you have anything to say about MC Hammer? No, I went to a bar, bar mitzvah once and for this <laughs> super rich kid. And they were from, everyone was like, MC Hammer's going to play at this bar mitzvah. And an MC Hammer impersonator showed up <laughs> and tried to convince us that he was MC Hammer. And we were like, you're definitely not MC Hammer. And you know, MC Hammer had like the line shaved in his head. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, why don't you have the line? He had them like, he had them like drawn on. I was like, why don't you have the line shaved in your head? He's like, oh, I'm like doing a movie role right now. No like he had way. all the, and he was just lying to a bunch of 13 year olds. Wait, so was the kid who's bar mitzvah it was was he trying to like fake everybody out yes that's really awesome and everyone's like i think that might be the real one i said like, it was like it didn't even look like him. <laughs> i was like yeah it's like a black guy in like <laughs> huge hammer pants which is cool and he like i think he lip sang hammer i'm sure he's like a good performance but it's like just be up front like don't lie to me i know i'm like a kid but i'm not like an idiot i haven't thought about this literally since i was 13 it is it is pretty awesome. Yeah. I wonder if there's video. I don't know. Don't hurt him. They didn't hurt him. Please, he didn't Hammer. Hurt. He didn't hurt him, did he? Don't hurt him. Did he hurt him? No. I don't know. I'm not sure what we're talking about. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we did. We just talked about um, MC Hammer a lot. So stay tuned for that episode <laughs> coming up in a few months. It's a little teaser. Uh, however, today on the episode, we have on Francis and Mark um, from a band called Hopalong. And we were joined by a guest, ed- guest editor, guest host, Dan Ozzy from Noisy. We need a guest editor. We do need a guest editor. Um, and <laughs> Edit all this bullshit out. <laughs> yeah, this is a really... Yeah, guys. Hi. Uh, I'm your new editor here. I just came on board. I got to tell you, we're going to lose the intros. The intros are out. Yes. I'm going to go straight to the content. After three minutes of commercials, I've got you a new sponsor. <laughs> Adult diapers. Oh, my God. It's a matter of time. Uh <laughs> And yeah, I don't know. Hopalong has gotten so much, so much press and um, acclaim on this record. So I'm sure you've heard it. But if you haven't heard their record, the new one is called um, "Painted Shut." And uh, yeah, Rob Saddle Creek put it out. Rob from Saddle Creek was here, also in the studio. We talked to him a little bit. And uh, yeah, the record's great. Francis's voice is amazing. All the music's great. And uh, I thought it was fun because me and Mark ended up talking about Earth Crisis a lot. Um, and I feel like he's really into metal and stuff, as you'll see. So I thought that was probably something that you don't hear in every every hop along interview. Maybe we even talked about it too much. Although <laughs> I don't think that's possible. Listeners might. But what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? Um, we'll give you your money back. Yeah, yeah. It's a free podcast. You don't like it? Don't listen to it. That's I feel like that's always what I say. <laughs> it's true. If you don't like it, just hop along <laughs> to the next one. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that sounds like something I would say. That was not on your level. Come on. No, I know. I actually <laughs> like that. Uh, I had a really good actual Twitter exchange um, with puns with Dan Ozzy. Oh, really? I, I guess. Yeah, because, you know, Dan's very buff. And I said, uh, I wonder if Dan ever mistakes um, saying, wait, what did I say? I don't want to fuck this up. This Because this was actually really funny. I said, I wonder if Dan Ozzy ever accidentally types reps instead of rips riffs when he's writing reviews and then he wrote back sometimes it just makes sets sorry sense so that's the kind of weight you're gonna get from this podcast <laughs> it's funnier when you read it it's not as funny when you read it out loud especially when you f- fuck it up four times in a row <laughs> so anyways let's listen to francis and mark uh amazing sibling team from hop along Hey, how was babies last night? Great. Yeah. Um, so I got kind of freaked out because I saw Bully there. Oh, uh, really? It was sold out. I stood in the back. Yeah, yeah. And like all the sound got <clears> kind of like sucked out by the time it hit us because it mm-hmm. was so packed full of human sponges. Thank you. But so last much. night, the house guy, you know, he was working. He was doing a good job in the first two bands. And then he'd never heard of us, I don't think. And then the guy from the Mercury Lounge came who does sound there and he was a super big fan. So we just took over the mix and did an awesome job on the house. Like he knew the record. Cool. Yeah. So it went great. On a separate note, are you are you flipping out about that uh, video of Miley Cyrus and Laura Jane Grace? Oh my gosh! <laughs> you know it's so funny. Like, sh- yeah, I am flipping out about it because like that's an amazing cover. And then when it happened, um, I texted Laura 
because she. It's it funny. A while ago. It right? well, it did because it a like couple. A week ago or she, more. I think they taped it like a couple yeah, months ago. Because she writes a column for us, and um, one time I like wrote Laura, and I was like, "Hey, like, are you gonna have your column in by Thursday?" And she's like, "Oh, I'm sorry, like, I'm not gonna make it. I'm recording a thing with Miley Cyrus." And I was like, "Oh, cool. Wait, what? <laughs> what the <laughs> fuck are you talking about?" And then like she was just telling me about it, and I was like, "Is she cool?" She's like, "Oh, she gets it. Like, she's so cool." And then I was like, "Okay, cool." And I like was waiting for that. And then it dropped, and I was like, "You should do your column about this, about like, so, like, because I don't know. I've always been a fan of Miley Cyrus, and I just love that like all of these celebrities are being self promotional right now with like title going on, and she's like taking up, like, she's using her platform for good, like to promote like LGBT causes, and like I just really, I really admire her. I don't know, in a weird way." So sorry. She really took hold of her own identity. She did, and she like every every like criticism of her. She just like let it like bounce off of her, and I don't know. Um, mm. I love her. She's like responsible for like most of my sister's success. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny too. I forgot about that. Um, All right, your sister. By the way, like her impression of her is so spot on too, because like she has that like. Top of her mouth, kind of. Oh my gosh! Like, you know, like, <laughs> she worked on it for like workshopped really? it. Yeah, but before Milo was really popular. It's so spot on. Yeah, I didn't even know who when she first showed me that impression. I didn't even know who she was. <laughs> I was like, I don't know who this person is. Yeah, yeah. So okay, sorry to no, no problem. All right, we're here with Mark and Francis from Hopalong, and Dan Ozzy. Hey, and hey. Rob Nansel from Saddle Creek. There he is. <laughs> the modest. <laughs> so I wish, modest. I wish facial expressions translated on radio. I almost heard it. I'm going to get Rob to do a podcast someday. It's going to happen. Sweet. Um, you guys, when did you roll into town? You you were here last week, and then you came, now you're back? Yeah, we did stuff. We did rough trade a week ago, and then we went up to Maine and basically came back down and Okay. did New York again. How was Maine? I love Maine. Yeah? I love it so much. There's just something about the water up there. It's just, you know, not like... Jersey water at all, you know, the beach. What are you trying to say? <laughs> Bad mouth in Jersey? What are you saying? What are you yeah. saying? Did I introduce you? Yeah, I'm okay. Yeah, yeah. you did. I'm sort of omnipresent. He's introducing so. himself. <laughs> and who are you, Jonah? I don't know. It doesn't matter. Um, me and Dan were talking before you guys got here. Um, I think I've heard a lot of people talk about your band lately, but the weird thing is, I've heard, never heard, I haven't heard anyone say anything negative about you guys. I feel like most of the time when like a lot of people are talking about a band, like half the people are like shit talking them, being like, I feel like everyone really likes you guys. What's up with that? <laughs> yeah, Jonah, Jonah doesn't. Jonah's new out. to this I mean, whole being like. I'm thing. so used <laughs> to being like I like this, and was like, ugh, that sucks. That's kind of funny because that um that vulture piece went up, mm-hmm. and they announced it on their Facebook, and uh, you know the title of the article is "Is this the best voice in rock and roll?" And then there's like 20 comments that are just like nah. <laughs> some of them are yeah. like some of them are like nasty. It's like hard because when you when you write like sometimes you want to write a hyperbolic headline like that because you know people will read it. But at the same time, you are definitely inviting people to be like you don't know but what I, you're talking. about. I feel like comments don't count. Like the comments people commenting like, yeah. are like no, we're, yeah, yeah like actual subhuman. people like hop along from what I've found. Yeah. Like not internet people. Yeah, it's just kind of scary because we're getting into that realm where you know we are sort of. We've been doing this for a while, so we have that protective fan base that I, unfortunately, probably take for granted. So when people that have never heard us before hear us, I'm, you know, it's almost like starting over. Well, we talked about this a little bit the other day. This is when you guys released Get Disowned, which was your last album, your first album as a full band, really. Um, You really just kind of self-released that and it went into the ethers and people sort of got into it but this is your first one that you're doing with like a proper label and it's on blogs and people react to it like how has it been sort of like getting feedback on a you know like you have a a release date like how's it been like getting that kind of response to a release it's been surreal is the best way that i could put it when we played the first show at rough trade i just i felt like i was in such a a haze like you know doing an interview and and photographs and i mean the show was great and there were so many friends of ours there and fans that have been around for a while so that was 
really encouraging, but it's just still so unfamiliar, very unfamiliar. I mean, it's exciting. It's like a whole other, you know, when we, when we all started playing music, the exciting new thing was touring and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, playing in front of people in the middle of nowhere for the very first time. And so now it's sort of shifting to, uh, doing interviews with, you know, major publications, you know, being reviewed by major sites and Rolling Stone and Pitchfork. I mean, that's the new, are you, the first time I met you, I was when I interviewed you. Well, I interviewed you, um, early after we met and you didn't seem to be accustomed to the whole interview process. Like, are you, are you worried that the media around it is going to take away from the art that you make? Cause I know you're very like art first focused type of person. Are you ever worried that it's like a distraction or it's going to get in your head or. Uh, I worry that I over describe because all in all, I mean, people are going to take away from this record, whatever they take away. I, I should really have nothing to do with that. Mm-hmm. You know? So when I say what a song is about, um, I mean, even I sometimes, you know, afterwards I think, well, that's not really what it's about. You know, I mean, there's, I really wouldn't want to try to spell anything out for anybody. I know there's, there's times where I've listened to songs and felt so much. And then I've heard, I mean, there's songs that I loved and I didn't even have, I didn't have the lyrics. So I misinterpreted the lyrics, but I loved my Mm -hmm. misinterpretation more than when I found out what they actually were. Right. So, you know, I don't know. I think you know, all these things are there for people who are really interested in finding out more. And that's, that's cool. But overall, I mean, I don't think it'll in the long term. I mean, I would like to think that the album will outlast Mm -hmm. everything else around it. If it's, you know, solid work. So when you, when you eventually start work on your next album, are are you going to be thinking like, Oh, like this first one was well received, but now I have to top that. Or what if people don't like this one or, I or what if people like this one better? Sorry. Oh, yeah, we'll think that forever. Yeah. <laughs> Every <laughs> yeah. album is going to be like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think uh, it has to be a challenge, you know, you have to, because you have to improve. I mean, you have to grow with every record. I would, I would mm-hmm. like to think so. Who, um, it's funny because again, the first time that I saw you guys, you opened for the thermals. And the Thermals are a great example of a band who I love. I mean, I think they're great. Um, but they make the same album, more or less, for six, you know, six times. Um, and I love that album. Um, but then there are other artists that evolve, and those seem to be the ones who are like, oh, they have fans that are like, I only like this album better, or I like their new stuff, or I like their old stuff. Um, who's who's like an influential um, musician on you that, as far as like their career span, not just like the music that they make. Um, you know, I think people use it a lot, but the way that Dylan changed with like every single record is pretty unreal. Mm-hmm. I mean, even, um, you know, and also Neil Young for sure. I mean, he made an album that was like all vocoder, mm-hmm. right? It was like for his son. Um, son has, um, it's not cerebral palsy it's i just read his biography yeah he has yeah one of those that's what he does like the bridge school benefit no. yeah i can't some i can't remember what it is yeah but some yeah some either. serious disease but anyway it, he he changed so much that it was almost detrimental mm-hmm. um but he didn't care i mean I, I think he i guess he had all sorts of different reasons for doing albums <laughs> the way he did them but another band i mean built to spill i think they have a certain i don't want to call it a formula but they do have a way of like you know jamming like you can you can tell that that's a band that like loves to jam but they still i don't know i i consider them like a kind of subtle subtle adventurous band it's hard because I mean, there's bands that I mean, one, some of my favorite bands only have two records or mm-hmm. one record. Yeah. You're like a big Nutramilk Hotel fan. Oh right? yeah, I yeah. love that band. Right, and that was another one too. There's just like two two records. Yeah, hmm. but even that one record was like a huge. Like I read the thirty three and a third about that record, and uh, Rob from Apples and Stereo uh, produced it because he and Jeff Mangum like grew up together. 
And he was saying like, I mean, the most beautiful thing in that whole book, he just said, like, I just wanted Jeff to be happy hmm. like when they made the record. But he had to talk him into, you know, doubling his voice here and there because Jeff was like, no doubling, like, absolutely not. Um, so he had to talk him into that. And like you read that book and there's they're just these like really, really close friends, like making these like loving compromises for each other to like make this record. I, I just thought that was really cool. Did you see any of the shows since he started playing again? No. I haven't either. No, I really like those records, but for some reason, like, I didn't really care. Like, I didn't really need to see it or something. I felt that way until everybody started telling me how phenomenal their shows are. I I I feel sort of silly. I had that feeling about when the Blood Brothers came back around, like, I don't know if I want to go see this. I loved them so much. And then I watched, like, the live video, and I was like, I'm an idiot. I should have gone. It was so good. actually, Jeff Rosenstock asked to go with me to that one right down the block at warsaw and i didn't and it looked amazing yeah and then i walked out and i got to see them at uh fun 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 festival and they Mm. were unbelievable yeah like they hadn't lost a a second of he's he's probably one of my favorite drummers yeah in music yeah he's he hits hard he's even his technique is great and he's so imaginative like his it's incredible what he's able to come up with with the parts they give him that's funny that you have such a drummer's brain because i feel like everybody who looks at blood brothers obviously is going to be like commenting on the dual singers well yeah and even that is so like the way they work is so percussive in nature it's crazy that's why i like that band so much the guitar playing like is super percussive you know it's really hard hitting i i I will love that band forever i love every record so this brings up um an interesting point which is that you mark grew up on a lot of hardcore records and you were doing a lot of hardcore bands and Francis was not into that. (laughs) Um, So growing up in the same household, like did you guys ever overlap with musically or? Well, my uh, Iowa. We should mention by the way that Mark and Francis are brother and sister. I don't know if we've established that dynamic. Okay. Mark and Francis. We're still establishing that dynamic. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. I think my Iowa six CD changer with dual cassette pointed like opposite her room. (laughs) <laughs> but I'm pretty sure she still felt like all the kick-ass bass that was pumping out of those bad boys. Those speakers were huge and they were super heavy. But I think like for many of my teenage years, it was the it was the same six CDs. Like I, I forget it was um, it was that Hatebreed record, the one after Under the Knife. <laughs> Satisfaction, Satisfaction, Death Desire. Desire was always in there. Of course, um, I always kind of kept. Uh, um, Earth Crisis is Breed the Killers in there because I I thought at some point I might end up liking it. You know, like after like all the victory stuff and they went to Roadrunner. Yeah. Like, oh. So That's I just right. kept it in because maybe it would come on it would be cool because I let everything play. I always kept Cannibal Corpse's Butcher to Birth in there pretty much. Like that was like constantly in that player. I, don't, I thought that record was amazing, like super theatrical and um, I think an Insane Clown Posse <laughs> CD made its way in there pretty often. <laughs> Um, that was an overlap. That, was good. <laughs> that last slot always had in my CD player always had something that like Frank and I kind of agreed on. Like the miseducation of Lauren Hill was like almost always in it. Um, there was a lot of weird stuff. That, like a, There are two tapes I remember you playing in the car because Mark would drive me to school. He would drop me off because the junior high was on the way to the high school. So he would drop me off on the way. And there were oh, two yeah. tapes I remember being like happy about him putting on that was bad religion and cash 22 is still a good record i i don't know how like ska snuck into the whole pop punk hard, hardcore thing but it did and i bought into it really hard yeah. i think I mean, it might have been the that... only shows going on around yeah. us too it was like you know six ska bands at the fire hall i it was the it was the sample cds man you guys like, grew up uh in like rural pennsylvania right yeah or, like suburban new jersey rural pennsylvania like kind of half mm-hmm. and half did I breed the killers is a very interesting choice for Earth Crisis records. <laughs> yeah, because I loved more season ends and right. I loved uh, destroy the machines and I, I loved all those records. But like I was like I'm not giving up on Earth Crisis, man. And then <laughs> I, I think it killed it for me when I saw them. I forget who they play. Oh, pff, they headlined a show with In Flames. Yes, I was at that tour in Cleveland. <laughs> I was they, so into In Flames when I went. They opened for In Flames and I was bummed because I went to see Earth Crisis. Uh, well, see, I I. I don't remember. I went through an In Flames phase, and I don't remember what show started it. In Flames and Children of Bodom. Like I was just like, oh, these are the greatest bands, and pretty much all of that like Gothenburg stuff. I was like super into it, and uh, I went and I saw In Flames, and they blew my brains out. And then uh, I feel so bad. Like they're musicians. Like to say anything negative about someone's art 
is, is a bummer. But like Earth Crisis Trust got me, up in a there. Room with people have talked that t- talk bad about people's art all the time. <laughs> I, it's not even that it's bad. They just got up there and it was just it was kind of tired. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, I loved them. They were groundbreaking, and it's just For like. Sure. Th- in flames came out and they were and they were super energetic and they were on point and earth crisis came out and seemed like they weren't stoked to be there or something it just like didn't it's hard to explain it didn't click for me that was probably a weird tour for them too because sure. i mean they're so used to touring with all those victory bands and i think that was such a different audience and i know they were trying to i love that we're spending this time talking about earth crisis this is awesome <laughs> but I, they were. I think they were in a weird place. Slither came out after that, and that record was totally weird, totally yeah. nuts. Like, I just got something new from Earth Crisis, and it was them like re-recording songs from All Out War. Like, oh, that songs. record was crazy! I loved that record. I loved the band that came from that record. Like, <laughs> oh man, I, All Out War was like one of my favorite bands at yeah. the time too. It was crazy. Francis, what is your favorite Earth Crisis record? <laughs> <laughs> right into the mic. Can you hear that? <laughs> um. <laughs> Well, okay, but that does make a very good point, which is that like you were listening. Is a firestorm coming? Sorry. Yeah, yeah. A fire oh, I have that on seven inch. <laughs> um, but so anyway, so what were you listening to around this time when Mark was in his super hardcore? Uh, so when I was, you know, fifteen, and Mark would drive me into the city with his friends, um, he'd be kind enough to take me along. It was cool to have you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was fun. I was desperate to have music that he didn't know about that was mine so i remember going through this desperate period where i would just like go to a cd store and be like this looks good and just take like take whatever um i picked up an audio learning center cd at one point i was like i don't think he knows about this and i put him more like yeah i know all about that like <laughs> i end up liking i would <laughs> most embarrassing i um i was familiar with like tooth and nail mm-hmm. records so i picked up a a CD by a band called Craig's Brother. Okay. And I was like, this oh, is my band. This that. is the band that I, this is my thing that is mine. And you have nothing to do with it. You, um, wasn't Reliant K another one? Uh, well, I went to a, a Christian festival one time with a friend to mm. meet boys. <laughs> that was super. How'd that go? I made out. <laughs> Nailed it. So. Tooth and nailed it. Am I right? Dude, tooth because and nailed it. Very good. Well done. Christ. <laughs> Um, was a part of that whole I I just want to real quick clar- clarify because I'm sure you're getting like this picture in your head of who I was back then like dude, I'm giving a way worse clear picture <laughs> no yours is great are you explain yeah. what Jinkos are because I wore them too see I wasn't the I had some friends that only listened to five hardcore bands and they were like it was like American Nightmare and stuff that sounded like American Nightmare and that was it and I they were all like big dudes and jockey and I was like super skinny and I had just gotten out of glasses and I loved Corn and the Deftones too. So like the first couple of hardcore shows that I went and saw like Hatebreed and like this local band called Problematic and Candiria played every show back then. And I loved that. Yeah, Candiria was just like I feel like there were four of them and they opened every show in the hardcore in the like the tri state area for <laughs> like three years. I can't I don't think I can explain how many times Candiria, that I've seen Candiria, Walt Jericho, Ensign, and uh um oh all else failed. I've seen them a hundred times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because um, they they open for every band. But like, I did not fit in. I I liked to mosh, but I looked weird. Like I had this like turtle effect. And I like wore like weird, cor- I had like corn patches and I like made my own clothes. It like didn't work out for me. <laughs> it was weird. Like, like I get the Jinkos, but I get the really extreme ones that were totally not okay. Like I could fit Most a two Jinkos liter. Jinkos were pretty extreme. Dude, mine were too. I used to that have. That was sort my, of their thing. I my, could put a two liter bottle of soda in my back pocket. You could not see it. My friend's mom was a tailor and I would get the biggest Jinkos and then cut them up to here and yeah. put in more fabric. Oh, wow. You, <laughs> so you were saying I deal. Would, like pimp out mine. Super yeah. imaginative. Yeah. I know. I love that. Pimp my Jinkos would be a great idea for a TV show. Yeah, it's true, oh but it's funny God. because my sister and me were into really different music, but she also liked Bad Religion. Like, that was one mm-hmm. of the bands where, like, I'd go to the show and buy her a t-shirt, <clears throat> but she was really into, like, Sarah McLaughlin and, like, Jewel. Dude, me too. Yeah. I, I kind of like that. That, I, was, um, that was stuff she liked that I was cool. I have drawings from when I was, like, 12 that I just took out of, like, Circus Magazine or, like, CD art. I have, like, a drawing of Jewel and then, like, a drawing of Fiona Apple and then I also have a drawing of Adam Sandler. <laughs> <laughs> They're good. So I had that. I got, I bought that. What the hell happened to me? Uh, yeah, CD. Uh, yeah, that's a classic. No, yeah. Fatty McGee. Yeah, we listen to that a lot. Um, no, but the uh, the first thing that I got, the first album that I got that felt like that I felt like was a piece of like I don't know 
art in a way like like I just never heard anything like it and I related it to it in this way that wasn't just like you know because when I, when you're a kid it's like you understand pop songs you know like my dad would put the proclaimers on and I would just immediately understand it like this is you know music is great uh-huh. um but then I felt like I went through this period in like elementary school middle school where I just didn't understand like what I, I don't know I was like developing my relationship with music so I had these mixtape mixtapes with like Natalie Merchant and then Prodigy and then Cake like I just yeah you know was just finding myself but I was in a CD store we were like staying at my dad's and he would take us to compact disc world uh in North Jersey and they were playing um Slater Kinney uh the self-titled in the store and I just was like what is this and so I I immediately bought it like as soon as I heard it and I brought it home and I showed it to my dad and he's like oh yeah I have it it's like right over there yeah yeah. (laughs) I found like Bell and Sebastian CDs in his collection later and uh Pixies, like he had a ton of Pixies stuff. Um, But yeah, I think that was the first band that I heard. Like I I heard this form of expression Mm -hmm. that I just didn't even know existed in music. It's weird when you can, it's funny because, you know, you get older and you get like sort of passe about what you hear because like chances are you've heard something like it already, you know, when you're a kid, like everything is new and exciting, like everything rules, you know, like I remember the, the first, time that i heard like somebody made me a copy of the minor threat discography and i was like you can just scream all the time and that's music like i want this you know amazing um but yeah you get older and you kind of like lose that that like curiosity about new stuff i don't know the more you know right i mean ignorance is bliss sort of like my teenage years were just desperate attempts to like find the heaviest breakdown (laughs) <laughs> and like that was it and you went right for earth crisis you were like yeah well, that I, I, I felt like that that under the nice seven inch i felt like had the heavy because they were the first band i felt like they would do those crashes while it was like yeah like the groove was so thick on yeah. those early records yeah it, it kind of got corny later but like no one was like they took punk and slowed it down and, and had this thick gro- bassy groove like there, it was the they're boston right the Connecticut. Connecticut. Yeah. It was so close to the New York hardcore scene, which yeah. is so influenced by hip hop. But they, you know, like all the Scarhead stuff and all those guys, but it was just, it had this bounce and like heaviness to it that I really loved. It was like super percussive. That's what I loved about it. Do it was you, simple. Do you think uh, New Metal got kind of a bad rap? I, you were talking about bands whose discographies I respect. Deftones. Mm. Beginning to end. I love everything about that band. I have always loved them. Their White ability. Pony is a cool record for I, sure. They, they care about melody on this level that's fantastic yet they want to be heavy and have song structure and hooks um they're definitely one of those bands like that new metal i i loved that first slipknot record but i think it was what you said basically about not knowing enough you Mm -hmm. know what i mean like once i kind of understood the thing that wrecks a lot of this music for people is the lyrics right they're silly right yeah i it's not that I'm ignoring them. I don't, it takes me so long. There, I've listened, there's like Saves a Day records where I listen to front to back a thousand times. I have no idea what the lyrics are. Right, right, right. But I like can play them. You know, I, I never really got caught up in the lyrics. I guess that's why death metal and all that stuff was okay with me because it was just about like the percussive nature and the drive of the songs that I just never really picked up on. And I think it ruined a lot of the music for Frank that I would show her. I'd be like, this is great. And and then I would kind of realize, oh, these lyrics are terrible. Like, yeah, it wasn't so much the lyrics; it just sounded like pure aggression, like just yeah, unadulterated aggression. I and I didn't really have any place for that as much. It had I mean, a lot of energy that worked its way out that way, right? I, I don't know, but but I mean, but I also picked up stuff like you know, <laughs> I mean, if we're talking about like when we're 14 years old i mean I, I would mow the lawn listening to the great malenko like <laughs> i'm like i'm not kidding and that but i really like i don't know i liked for some reason i was like really into ridiculous theatrical stuff when i was younger like i was a pretty like dramatic kid but there was something about like hardcore music that just never 
clicked with me. It just didn't feel like it was for me. It didn't didn't feel like I was something I could be a part of. A lot of that music, not to like peg anybody, but like, you know, a lot of that is very like angry dude centric. Like if you're like a pissed off 14 year old boy, Earth Crisis is going to be amazing to you because like you're just mad at the world. Like and, and in a way that's like, I don't know what my emotions are. I'm just angry. Like, you know. Um, even saves but, the day in Dashboard Confessional. They're all <clears throat> mad at this woman. Right, <laughs> there are all yeah. these songs. They're just like, "You're a but, horrible person." You know, it's really funny. Like, I, I don't. W- well, you have had Chris on the podcast from Saves the Day. He, yeah, yeah, he's, a times. that was one of actually my favorite ones. But he, uh, if you ever ask him about all that stuff about that aggression, he's like, "I just want to be clear. Like, I am not angry at women <laughs> at all. Like, that was a frustration with myself. Like, I, you know, like that's all." Like me dealing with my like inner conflict and I was like, well, I liked it back then. Like I didn't understand, you know, until later that, you know, I was, I was an outsider. It's so weird. I didn't really, I think there's a lot of things I didn't process when I was younger, uh, that are definitely strange to me now. You know, when I listen to a lot of songs now and I just think like, oh, this one's about, a woman who's an awful person this one's about you know a heartbreaker and mm-hmm. you know thoughtless woman i i just didn't that stuff didn't i was just like yeah breaking up getting broken up with sucks and i mean i feel like i would always just like whenever there's a song about a dude or something if i was listening to, i don't know whatever like discount or something i would just always flip it in my head yeah be like oh i'll just if i'll do change but... like i guess i would always just ignore the pronouns or something that makes sense maybe that's just so maybe it's also like so many of the songs are about girls that it's like easier for me or something no yeah i I would you would want to make it personal too or either that or make it universal depending on what what part of the song but it's like what you were saying with your songs how you put this album out there and it's kind of you know it's yours but then once you put it out there just kind of people interpret it their own way and it's kind of the same thing with with songs that are about like you're saying like oh this was about a bad person or this was about this it's kind of like when you when you're in a in an emotional state because of something and you hear a song like you just like absorb it as reflecting on that like if you're like going through a bad breakup and you hear a sad song even if it's not specifically about a breakup you're like oh this person gets me like it's about this you know and you kind of like absorb it in your own way i guess well when you're younger you're just more absorbent yeah anything for sure honestly like anything that I mean, I remember being 14 and really mad, you know, but being a, an angry girl is just, I just think it's got, it. it's pretty different from being an angry boy because there just wasn't, I didn't know how to manifest it and I didn't even know exactly, you know, I mean, <laughs> I'm going to start talking about my periods, weird. <laughs> uh, but you know, Finally, imagine well, being a girl that's only been having about. your period for headphones? four years, like it's all still fucked up, like right. it's so fucked up. Uh, Beep. So, oh yeah, well, this is a podcast, who cares, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's fine. <laughs> it's just some podcast. Yeah, I swear yeah. your goddamn ass off. No, I mean, like it's not going to be, you know, you can do whatever... Yeah, we post. T- yeah, we can do whatever you want. You can pitch shift our Put voices. Put a donkey <laughs> sound totally. there. yeah. Wait, but it. so okay so this is like a good lead into so i feel like now we have a, a very good picture of you you both in the high school years so how did you like eventually because you didn't really play music together um for a long time right how did that eventually come about well i went away for a while i mean we both moved out he moved mm-hmm. out first but i moved away to baltimore i saw so little of her when she was in college um mm. that was just such an important time for me to like develop myself and write for myself uh and play to people that had no idea who I was you know I mean I went when I left home I basically changed my name I mean in high school middle school I went by my first name Mm -hmm. and I felt like people would say my name all the time and not be talking to me so when I went away to school they they sent me this application for a dorm room and on the application it said what would you prefer to be called and I was just like oh my god <laughs> just like Francis like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then from then on it's crazy how like that's my name now when I think about it uh but those four years that I had to write and paint and um play guitar were really important I don't know for my 
building myself up as feeling like I had something to say, that I had something to add. And so, you know, Mark had been playing his instrument much longer than I've been playing mine. I've only been playing guitars since I was 16, really. Mm-hmm. And you've been playing since you were like nine years old, 10 well, years old. Initially, it just started as well, my parents got divorced, so I got a drum set. <laughs> and I, and I, which was awesome, yeah, right? right. And, I, and I could play it as loud as I wanted, and I totally took advantage of that. But I, I don't think I started like actually using it for creating music until I was like thirteen, fourteen. Hmm. But I just think we needed that. I don't know. It's crazy how much closer we got after we moved out, yeah, of the house. Um, and then having after those four years being able to come together. Then I mean, and and it was really a process. I mean, playing together was such a it took a long time for us to figure out how to play together. It wasn't like an immediate, like... I thought, I seriously thought you were supposed to break cymbals all the time. Right. Like, it was tough to kind of translate the, okay, here, like, two-step blast beat breakdown. Like, this is kind of what I have. Right. right. And then trying... arsenal of, like, tricks. Right. And, And it was so limited in trying to turn that into something else was a challenge. But I I think, I, I mean, I understood that it was about serving the song that like Frank was giving me and that that was my new challenge rather than like being a teenager and going, Hey everybody, look, this is what I can do and trying to control the crowd with two steps and and make them dance. Like that's Mm -hmm, essentially mm -hmm. what the music I was playing was, was like trying to make the crowd do stuff. And this was this whole new challenge that I really loved, but we got, I mean, she went away to college. She came back this like amazing person that always existed, but I never, I took for granted until she was gone. You know, so she came back and I, I, her art was amazing and I loved freshman year. I was crazy about that record. I still am. And I would go to see her live and bring, I, I brought uh, Courtney at the time. She was my girlfriend. Yep, yep. Um, we had just started dating and I was like, yeah, I wanted to see how great my sister is and how well she plays music. It'll be great. This will be really good for my relationship. Frank gets into the first song and I start ugly crying in front of this girl <laughs> that I have not known for a long time. Uh, but you know, I, I always thought her art was great. I always respected it. My bands fell apart. I went, you know, well, what the hell am I going to do? Like, what am I supposed to do now? And Frank was like, you want to jam? And I was like, okay. And we jammed and we brought, I think Dom was at the Dom first was one. In the fir- Dom was like in, <clears throat> insisted that we start a band. And Dom was already <laughs> so musically developed at that time about like how he played his instrument and what kind of songs he wanted to He's write. He's an amazing guitar He's player. He's an amazing guitar player. So, you know, I, after we all jammed together, I could see that he was like, whew, that was rough. You know, like it was, it was a learning experience. I did, I had to clean up my act fast. Well, and also when we started, I just took songs that I'd written in college. I mean, all mm-hmm. the songs we were playing were songs that I'd written on my own. So we had to figure out how to play those. I mean, we didn't start writing together until get disowned really i mean that was the first time it was really a collaboration and not just here's the song you know so we got to figure this out you've always you've always had a knack for being like a band leader band member i mean laments like was easy like that is the oldest song i ever wrote i know and it's still it's already on it now it demanded years ago other instruments and drums like i could hear it immediately it was great you know and she's always kind of been like that where she wrote in this way that you could definitely elaborate on if you Mm -hmm. wanted to but it was still beautiful as done as simply as it could be done it was diverse and easy to i could hear it in my head i could hear what what we could do to it or with it with her uh, old songs but when it's funny because when it comes together and i'm not at all saying that you know only dudes like dumb heavy hardcore and only women like singer songwriter uh female you know but at the same time like there does seem to be that like perfect balance where it's like this is a thing that's like masculine and feminine like it sounds very heavy at points but it's like very emotional and personal and it's like maybe that's why i've when i saw you guys last week felt like a pretty even split in the crowd um gender wise yeah that crowd is i love the way i'm gonna make an analogy real quick i love when things are evenly masculine and feminine, I think that that gives you the most to work with rather than pigeonholing it in any way. From um, an anniversary present for this year, Courtney made me this workstation and mm-hmm. it's a desk and a little cabinet 
and it's like super and it's this clear acrylic chair and it's like super masculine like modern masculine looking but she like has a little clock and a cactus and a, and like these three little baskets and i was just like this is perfect you know these the, i don't i love when things come out like androgynous that way because everyone can identify with it and it's fun and no one's excluded and I think one of my favorite parts about playing shows is looking out onto our crowd and seeing like mixed genders, mixed ages. I don't personally know how it happened, but I love it. I think, well, first of all, I think that those those boundaries are kind of being obliterated right. at this point, masculine and feminine. Mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. I don't... We were just talking before you got here about that androgynous cover with Laura Jane and Miley Cyrus, which is such an amazing cover. But yeah, sorry. No, no, totally. But, I. I mean, I I know women that were totally into the hardcore scene, mm-hmm, like in mm-hmm. D.C., like where it began, you know? I don't mean to say, like, I am, I am just a meek person, you know? It's not so much, I feel like for the two of us, it's not as much, I mean, there is the, you know, growing up a boy and growing up a girl are mm-hmm, two very different, mm-hmm. there's two very different, you know, systems imposed upon you, but personality wise, we're just so different in how we express ourselves. You know, I'm a very confrontation, like gives me like anxiety, you know? So I'm a very, just as a person kind of try to stay out of that. And yeah, I don't know. I just have a smallness to right, me, that's like right. just innate that I feel, you know, like a little more like private maybe. And mm-hmm. So when know. you, when you are playing live, is that cathartic? Is that like, does that compensate for other areas in your life where you feel like you're not loud enough? Well, it's just the one form of expression that I feel like I do properly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like day to day I go to bed so many nights just thinking of all the things I wish I hadn't said or done Mm -hmm. you know and playing a show is like the one time where i feel like i'm where i'm supposed to be and i'm doing you know what i'm supposed to be doing and making art you know painting is like that too but Mm -hmm. yeah i'm so used to playing shows and just seeing so many dudes (laughs) right yeah, you draw you draw a dude heavy audience. <laughs> Pretty dude Me heavy. Dude. I, I don't just... what is it about screaming where it's like I, I never found it to be like aggressive. I mean like Jeff's like screams in your band, right? Yeah. I mean it's not it's like percussive. It yeah. takes all the melodies gone. It's just like drums. It's like per, all just about the percussive nature of the vocals. I never maybe it's because it, I never It's really probably more the, the atmosphere than it is the music. The I mean, there's a lot definitely. of women that yeah. love those bands, but maybe they don't feel as welcome at the shows, you totally. know. That's totally I mean there's, yeah. there's I dudes that act like you aren't welcome here, you know? Yeah. I mean if if you want to like if you're punching the air, there's probably yeah. people that are willing to or want to be able to take a punch and women were just not i was not raised to take a punch you know (laughs) or throw punches you know it's interesting like a stick up for yourself kind of way you know like women just aren't raised and told to stick up for themselves in a physically imposing way it's you know you're taught to be courteous and you know uh never inter like don't interrupt people and it's it's much less of a you know you gotta hold your own and you know the and the the hardcore scene that I was involved in was it was still about like protecting women and like oh this woman's going to dance everyone you know move out of the way and let her do her thing it was never like this equal I don't know because so much of that was like about fighting and weird stuff right the, it would be like this song about brotherly love and and loving each other and equality and everyone was punching each other it was really weird yeah. well, what i've noticed is weird too is like when i was younger like when i was like 15 16 i would go to those shows and stand right next to the pit and not be scared at all like people are like getting punched in the face like mm-hmm. two inches now it's like if i'm on the other side of the venue i'm like whoa <laughs> like yeah. terrified this is going to increase my health insurance premium <laughs> yeah, <it's laughs> yeah, right, right. like my hip hurts already like <laughs> i cannot afford to go to the hospital what's it like um sort of with the saddle creek thing like obviously like such like a not to feed Rob's ego more, but like such legendary label, like you know, obviously and been a launching pad for so many bands that have gone on to do so many amazing things, like Tim and Connor and all that stuff. I mean, what's it like, sort of being a part of that? Because it almost feels like maybe you guys are part of like a different wave, like that happened kind of a while ago. Now it seems like 
How does that sort of feel? Franny? Were you a fan of a lot of those bands? Absolutely, yeah. I had the, I mean, let's see. Mark gave me the uh, Bright Eyes EP that had um, Messenger Bird on it. And I really loved that song. And then I went away to this like art uh, camp, basically, when I was 17. And I met this girl named Molly. And she's like, no, 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 you need to hear this album. And she like showed me Fevers and Mirrors. And then somebody else at the, I mean, I went to this, uh, place in uh, this like college in Erie for like five weeks and there were all these actors and writers and painters that were all like 17 16 years old and that's where I you know first heard a lot of stuff for the first time and um that's where I heard uh oh oh yeah that'd be great thank, thank you. you thank you you good sweet Rob you good you good that's where I heard Rilo Kylie for the first time, and I got um, the split between like Sun Ambulance and Bright Eyes, and I got this the Saddle Creek Fifty, and I just like immediately like I'd never I didn't know anything about um, people putting their music out themselves. I just didn't know anything about you know I didn't know anything about Matador or Merge or Kill Rock Stars or K Records or anything. I Saddle Creek was my first introduction and it was such a I, I immediately became aware of it. These people all knew each other and they were on each other's records and it was like this collective effort and I was so enamored with that and it was like the first time I wanted to know the story about like the story behind how things are made you know because before that I mean I wasn't like looking into anybody's story i just i just listened to the albums i just had a relationship with the album and i didn't even really think about what that relationship was it was very surface level for me for a while you know with music i feel like i had a surface level relationship i'm sad i'm gonna listen to this sad song i'm feeling pissed i'm gonna listen to mm -hmm. you know Ani DeFranco. <laughs> Especially like, you know... <laughs> Which I love. I mean, I love... Right. <laughs> but especially so cool. like in a pre, pre... Almost, you know, burgeoning internet time. Everything wasn't readily available. I mean, like, I liked Nirvana. And I knew what I saw of him on interviews and things like that. But like, I couldn't follow Kurt Cobain on Twitter and see him post pictures of his cat God, every that day. That would have been so weird. And now <laughs> you can. Now you can just like follow... Um, whatever music you're into on Instagram or whatever, and you kind of get a glimpse as to who these people are. But I, when we were growing up, I feel like I speak for all of us when I say that, like, it was just, you just took the art at, at face value. Yeah, you know? I would write letters. <laughs> so Did much you? of it was based yeah. on your imagination, too, just yeah. judging the art, like what these people were probably right. like. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, I had no idea. I had no idea of, like, what it's like to be, you know, in Omaha making a record. But I had so much fun thinking about, you know, making something entirely myself, you know? I mean, I was listening to, like, uh, Letting Off the Happiness and reading about it just, like, on a four-track. And then my brother Andrew, like, gave me his four-track. And I just was like, I could do whatever I want. I could do anything I want. And I just that just had never occurred to me in that way. I guess I hadn't thought about it. I hadn't really thought about... When I was younger, I just thought about writing, you know? I didn't really think about trying to make copies of anything but i mean and then at the same time i heard you know the moldy peaches and i heard um i guess i came to like daniel johnston later but there's just something about the idea that you could that it's also a documentation it's like a documentation of where you are because these people are so young too they weren't like when you listen to the radio, everything's so cleaned up and it's almost ageless, mm -hmm. you know? I mean, obviously we market um, youth and nobody really, I don't know. Bands like, you know, I, I used to listen to that song Creep all the time when I was little and that, that, that was a young band. But I didn't think about, it was so pristine and perfect that you don't think about where somebody is in their life. They're like away from you. They're untouchable. But when you hear something and there's like, you hear the vulnerability. Yeah, you hear the vulnerability of in the lyrics because they're young lyrics, and you hear mistakes and you hear hiss and just 
in, like just very real imperfections and there's just such a I don't know that like that touched me hearing that um Rob was beep beep on Saddle Creek do you remember the beep beeps on ambulance tour <sighs> yeah uh oh no I I, I remember like <laughs> thinking Saddle Creek was pretty on point when I went to that you know I used to love beep beep I don't think I, I don't, I barely remember them. I was into like all that, like punk, like aggressive dance kind of music. Okay. Except for the refused somehow. Mm -hmm. Like <laughs> I didn't, it didn't click with me, uh, but everything else, it's really weird. I ended up liking them much more later. Good label. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite Saddle Creek release? Even though I've asked you this before. Yeah, yeah. That's a, well, I, I'd probably go back and forth between. Um, the Faints Wet from Birth and Cursive's Ugly Organ. What the first time when Wet from Birth came out and I saw them at this club in Philly, I was blown away. Right. It was so loud and so heavy. And um, Todd was such a such a showman. He had this crazy outfit on. It was it was like these DIY like punk rock stars. Like it was amazing. It's funny that it's funny that you say like Wet from Birth because for me I remember like the huge commotion being made about Don's Macabre. And mm -hmm. I still think that album is amazing, but I just remember that one just being like, like they made a queer turn on who yeah. they were. And it was a, this new crazy, awesome thing that I think that that one's more of a developing sound in my opinion mm -hmm. to, whereas like wet from birth is like, this is who they always were meant right. to become. You know, that, that record was just the peak of, like punk dance music it was for me it was really amazing i can i can still listen to that record whenever i want and when i go back to dance macabre it's like it's just from it just sounds a little dated to me mm -hmm. in a way like it sounds like they were moving on to this thing that they were becoming and that i can and wet from birth just sounds like pretty timeless at this point so a quick story about rob when i uh, when the 10 year anniversary of um ugly organ came out which is also one of my favorites um i interviewed everybody like tim kosher and everybody that worked on that record and i interviewed rob and i was like so how many copies did that sell and i think he said something like 170,000 or 130,000 or something and i was like wow like talk about that isn't that crazy and he was just like yeah i mean it's pretty cool i guess i don't know like so blase about it i didn't <laughs> realize that was Chris's best selling record until tim came on yeah, that's yeah. like one of the, your top three, right? That um, lifted bright eyes and uh, dance macabre. Yeah, I mean wide awake. Wide awake, yeah, that's uh, yeah, oh, right. that's the number one. Yeah, you, you have to start to exclude some of the bright eyes records, and then right, right, right. Yeah, is wide awake and, and digital ash are those way different numbers wise, or because I always consider those albums kind of. Or wait, I bought them together. Yeah, as, Me too. as I think you were supposed to do, right? <laughs> right. They came out on the same day, but um, I might have Napstered it. <laughs> over the years, you know, Wide Awake is Gotcha. Grown I would say my favorite records on Settle Creek. Not that anyone cares. I do. <laughs> yeah, don't no, uh, talk to me. I'd say Good Life Blackout because that had a lot of the electronic stuff on it. Mm -hmm. and, and but I thought it was and the last new Vidanova record, You May Already oh, Be Dreaming. Oh, those records are both really depressing. But okay. really, I think Jake Bellows is so such an amazing songwriter. Cool. What about you, Francis? Um, I know before I said that split, and like, yeah. this is a total cop out. I really loved the Saddle Creek Fifty um, compilation. Yeah. I know, but that's a cop out answer. It's but not like a my favorite, answer. my favorite song on that whole compilation is um, by a band that band now it's overhead called Wonderful uh, Wonderful Scar. That was like my favorite song for. A really long time and then there's like those two azure ray songs that are really good and then there's like a an a b-side of rilo kylie's like jenny you're barely alive mm -hmm. that i really liked and then there's that band mayday i liked their songs as well i don't know i just really liked and i like it came with these like came with these really dumb videos <laughs> also <laughs> and i watched them all there was like a karaoke video in it there's like a video of a couch 
<laughs> Do you remember when CDs would come out and they'd be like, "Bonus edition has like a screensaver." <laughs> I loved it. I like. I just wanted. Yeah. I just wanted to like. I wanted to experience all of it. I like. That's funny, dude. So I'm many such weird. A weirdo. And now you're on Saddle Creek. So many weird CD like memories that I have. The like walking around the store holding the handles of those really long things, just like <laughs> yeah. holding them with me. Like I'm so stoked. I spent 30 minutes picking this out because it's $17. <laughs> um, so I feel like we'd be remiss um, if we didn't address one thing in this podcast, which I've been thinking about a lot lately, especially since that Vulture piece ran, is um, just any review that you're ever going to get seems to make mention of your voice because it's such a winchpin of your sound. Um, I have no idea what the question is that I'm working towards. <laughs> but does that does that bother you to keep hearing about like... Does it bother you to be like, oh, this woman has a great voice. God, that must be <laughs> terrible. But is it like annoying to hear it over and over again? Or No, the only thing, you know... Uh, I mean, I, I love compliments. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> like, really can't stand people. Yeah, right. No, I, you know, there's people that are worried about my voice uh, deteriorating, which mm. I'm sure it is. You can hear it. Uh, but the one thing that I, you know, well-meaning advice, you know, you should learn how to sing differently. You should sing more like... Actually, I played an open mic. I'll never forget it. It was over 10 years ago in Baltimore. When I first moved to Baltimore, I was like, I'm going to play an open mic. Mm-hmm. And I went and I played. I'm sure it was bad. And afterwards, this man came up to me, this older man came up to me and was like, well, you should listen to more Lucinda Williams. And I wanted to be like, screw off, old man. Like, <laughs> uh, leave me alone. <laughs> and then I, you know, then five years later, I listened to Lucinda Williams and I loved it. Um, no, I mean, it's a part of, it's, it's a part of my identity that playing, if somebody criticizes my guitar playing, I'll be like, yeah, I'm like not a great guitar player. Who cares? You know, but my voice is like, so it's a part of me, mm. you know? So there's, you know... I know that there's people that can't stand it uh, and that's fine. I mean, I've put on, I was driving to Erie one time with three of my friends and I had just graduated high school and I was, I still am like super, you know, self-conscious about like people liking what I like. You know, if I put, I don't know if you ever like put a movie on um, one time. Oh my God. One time I put Buffalo 66 on to watch with my dad (laughs) Because I love that movie and mm-hmm. I wanted my dad to like it. And as soon as I turned out, I was like, this is the worst movie in the world you could watch with your parents. Like, why am right. I doing this? And I felt so uncomfortable and bad and I know he didn't like it. <laughs> but I was listening, I was with my friends in the car and I put on Airplane Over the Sea because it was just my favorite record and I wanted to share this moment with my friends. And um, that uh, I Love You, Jesus Christ song came that, on. Yeah. And my friend was just like, what is this God awful music? And I just like shrunk and it's like stay with me I, like it's just so funny how um certain opinions just stay with you forever like i'll listen to it and it's like ah, nick hates this song <laughs> like, yeah that is a that's a weird thing that i've never heard vocalized before but that's completely true well it's, you you're everything when, you, when you're younger when i was younger it was so personal to me it was so a part of everything that i loved was so a part of who i am like i remember being mad if anybody in high school says anything about the bands I like, I don't know if you remember, like, like if it was that way for you, but I was just like, oh yeah, well, what record do you have? Yeah, like, well, right, I have these right. records. Did you go to that show? Yeah, I didn't think you went to that show. <laughs> like, you know, just being a little asshole about it. But I'd like to think that as I'm older now, that it just doesn't, I mean, it's music, you know, people, really good people. I'm sure there's really good people out there that aren't going to like our band and it's, fine you know we're just i'm just doing this we're doing this i mean uh it's amazing that we can play in a room to people that want to be there you know i don't feel like that i don't ever feel like we're in a room to playing for people that feel like they're supposed to be there or something like we're the band to see or something i just think that they're people that want to see us and that i'm just so grateful for that you know i think that's like the main thing i'm trying to like keep in mind you know every time we play every time we play a show it's a reminder and that is such a we are so lucky to have that you know Mm -hmm. like i know some bands that have difficult times with like 
with their fans maybe like there's a difficult relationship there for some bands but we just don't have that mm-hmm. we have such a good relationship with people that come to see us yeah, like I, I'm, I'm so grateful for that exact point like how because get to zone came out on such a small scale that many people are really really personal and protective over that record you know mm-hmm. and so so many fans have been it's hard to so many fans have been willing to share us on painted shut with people who have never heard us before mm-hmm. that makes me really really happy because i listen to so many bands where like it was about this is mine this band is mine and then they put out a, a more you know large-scale record and everyone would hear it and i would go well it's not mine anymore this really sucks like you guys don't know but everyone's been really willing to share us after get this owned and transitioning into painted shot which i really i'm super well, it grateful had to for. have been because again like it was just self-release and it was such a word of mouth mm-hmm. record i had such a funny moment with you with with the both of you um last year <clears throat> when uh we were at that last bomb the music industry show and uh mikey erg was there mikey erg <laughs> of of every band in the world fame mm-hmm. um and uh it was such a weird moment because like he came over and I was like, Oh Mark, this is Mikey, Mikey, this is Mark. And you two like introduce and then like you walked he walked away and you were like, dude, that's Mikey Erg. And then like I talked to Mikey later and he's like, That's Mark from Hobblewong. <laughs> like so weird. such a weird mutual that's admiration. It was very adorable. I have a really funny story. But he, anyways, but he's a big advocate of that, yours as is it's crazy a lot of me. Guy's so talented, it's like in his blood to just be a great songwriter. Um I don't remember. So, do you talk about your like jaded Twitter? Like, is do people know? Is that not a thing? Okay. Well, like on a super secret Dan Ozzy joint Twitter account <laughs> at Fest, um, I we had played and I had drank way too much all weekend and partied too much, and I was on like the side stage at eight, at uh, I think it was called Eight Seconds that venue. Yeah. Right, and I was on the side, and I was just like, this, like, on the thing, like, I like, look, Mexico, I'm watching. Uh, and I I would followed you, I'd followed this account on Twitter, and I just saw, like, I was the only one on that, like, railing, and I just saw, like, well, somebody fested way too hard side stage at eight seconds. I was like, oh, this, who is this jerk? <laughs> that's pretty funny. I who think was that's like, that jerk? Who knows? It might not have been you, though, right? <laughs> it probably wasn't. Yeah. yeah. This is a podcast. You can just put yeah. music over yeah, yeah, yeah. this section. Well, wasn't that fun? Whew. Yeah. Brad, did you have a good time? I had a great time. Yeah? With the Hop Along podcast. Yes. Uh, I don't know what my favorite part was, but I'll let you know in the next intro. Oh, my God. <laughs> Stay tuned next week for that update. Yeah, thank you so much to Francis and Mark for coming by. Check out Hopalong's record, Painted Shut. It's awesome. Support Saddle Creek Records. Did you ever paint it shut before? Paint it shut. Uh... You know, you paint the cabinets. You're lazy. No, but I, ha- I haven't really painted a lot of stuff. Oh. If I did, I probably would. <laughs> However you can fuck something up, I probably would find a way to do that for sure. Paint it shut. I love it. Um, thanks to Dan Ozzy for guest, you, Dan. guest hosting. Uh, check out his stuff at, over at Noisy. Um, he recently did a cover story on Refused where he traveled around with them. Pretty good. If you're a fan of Refused, that's probably something you'd want to read. Uh, what else? Um, check us out online, um, goingofftrack.com. You can donate money if you want to help us pay for our, our server costs, which would be helpful. Um, also, we're on Twitter. You can leave us a review on iTunes. Um, and if you're in a cool band, check out Converse Rubber Tracks. They're they're nice enough to let us record here, which is very cool. And they record unsigned bands for free. So go to converse.com slash rubber tracks and apply if your band is good. If you're not, it doesn't matter if you're good, Jonah. If you think it's good, go do it. If what you if you're it, in a band and you think it isn't good? If you have a band and you think you suck, then maybe you shouldn't apply. Yeah. If also, <laughs> if your band, if you don't think your band is good, no one else is going to. So maybe start a new band. <laughs> you know what I mean? At least you should think it's good, even if no one else does. Yeah. Or you should. I don't know. I'm not gonna tell you what to do with your life, but it seems very <laughs> weird if you're like, are you in this band? Like, yeah, it sucks. Like, I write all the songs. It's <laughs> terrible. Like, I don't know. Like, maybe you need to reevaluate what you're doing. 
don't put it on rubber tracks and me. What about goth bands? Isn't that what they think? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I, I'm insecure about the stuff I create, but I'm not like, this is terrible. <laughs> Somewhere <laughs> Most inside of the time. You think it's gr- Somewhere inside you think it's awesome. Yeah, or else why are you doing this? Right. I hope that this little rant has made you sort of want to re-examine what you're doing with your life, because it definitely has for me. Whether it's a band or otherwise. Yeah. Maybe paint, it's a, maybe, painting. Yeah. If you're painting those cabinets, take the hinges off. Yeah. Or else you're going to paint them shut? Yes. Yeah, it's a good metaphor. I love it. Yeah. Um, all right. Thanks for listening. Uh, we'll be back next week with some more very, very deep thoughts. 